Welcome to Silhouette, a podcast from the YDN. It's no secret that Yale is full of interesting people, and interesting people make for some interesting conversations. Join us each week as we sit down with students, faculty, alumni, and more for one-on-one interviews and discussions, illuminating each person's story to see beyond just their silhouette. Today's guest is Manasi Subramanian, a 2022 World Fellow at the Yale Jackson School of Global Affairs and the Editor-in-Chief of Penguin Random House India. Join us as we talk with Manasi about translated literature in South Asia, her personal and professional journey, and what being a publisher means to her. And for listeners, this is part two of a two-part episode. If you haven't listened to part one, we'd really recommend you listen to that first and then come back and listen to this one. My name is Suraj Singaretti. And I'm Eli Sung. And we'll be your hosts for today. So without further ado, let's get started. What was your relationship like with your grandfather? How did you come to, I know you said you practiced, you like recited, practiced reciting monologues with him. What was that like? Why did you initially feel yourself drawn to theater? I think it was actually because I loved stories so much that mm-hmm. I was drawn to theater. And I think that kind of translated itself into a love of books. Mm. But I do remember I was that I was the kid that always asked for a couple of extra stories and would mm. always, you know, say, tell me a story all the time. That mm. was kind of my thing. And I remain completely obsessed with stories. Mm. I like that is very much my thing that mm. you know when someone's telling me even about if if you and i have a conversation about your life I w- in my brain i would okay. be weaving it into what kind of guests mm. do you usually have into something that's part of a larger yes. narrative mm. and i i think that's what drew me to the theater mm. a love of words a love of stories and later translated itself into a love of books and a love of literature mm. yeah yeah no that's really interesting because i I think I almost had the opposite experience where I grew, where like, I mean, I still love books, but that was my, like, I started out as like a heavy bookworm in, in like middle school. And then that was kind of my entry into theater, which I do more of now. Oh, wow. Stuff in addition to writing and other things. What kind of theater do you do? Kind of, uh, mostly direct on the directing side. Also, I like that you say that you, you're always feel like you're weaving your own life or other people's lives into stories. Cause I think that's a common experience for anyone who's really into books or stories in general. Do you think that's ever, from my own experience, I think sometimes weaving things into narratives can be a little, can make things a little less complicated than they actually are. Do you, I don't know, how have you experienced that? It's a very vague question. No, I get it. But you know, I actually think the exact opposite. Okay. So I'll tell you why. I, I feel, this is something I feel quite strongly about. I feel that, when you read a lot, mm. you especially fiction, you walk a little bit in somebody else's shoes. Yes. So, and very often, I think you find out things about people that you otherwise may not encounter. Mm. And so you get to understand a worldview that you've never like physically actually encountered mm. before. And I think that that makes you an empathetic person. Mm. And I often, I, I'm always curious about why... Throughout the history of the world, when you look at the history of like authoritarian regimes, for example, there's been a lot of book burning that's occurred. Mm. Um, And dictators seem to be terrified of books because like if you look at the history of book burning, it starts like in the, if I remember correctly, I think it starts in like 6th century China or something like that. Mm. But there's like our history is scattered with dictators burning books Mm. in droves. 
and when you you have to ask yourself why are dictators so terrified of books and it's not like they don't love books they actually love books mm. like hitler died with 16000 books in his personal library mm. uh mao apparently used to work in a library and a publishing house so these are people who love books you have to ask yourself do they know something about the power of literature or the power of stories that we don't because they're clearly very threatened by the act of people reading hmm. and it seems like a pretty harmless thing but i think it is the greatest kind of resistance it is the kind of resistance that brings an enormous amount of nuance into your understanding hmm. or your relationship with other people and what dictators and fascists and authoritarians want is to be able to give you the black and white answers the simple mm-hmm. clean answers and say these people are evil so let's murder them and they want an od- they want a population or an audience that says sure they want like that's what they want their subjects to do they want their subjects to say yes this is black and this is white and therefore i will you know mm-hmm. rid myself of one of one or the other depending on which which side i am i am on however when you are a reader you know what it is like to be someone other than yourself mm-hmm. because you have walked in somebody else's shoes mm-hmm. and you'll start thinking for yourself and i think that that's what terrifies like the tyrannical people of our times and of all time yeah and so i actually think something different i think stories make you more empathetic they give you the kind of nuance that almost does not exist in a, a more like black and white world So I feel like reading complicates your world view. Mm-hmm. You might disagree with someone but you can see why they've come to that point of view. Mm-hmm. And I think reading helps you do that in a way that almost no other no other thing in the world can do that the way a good story can. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think it's do you think it'll ever be possible to fully capture someone's experience in a work of literature or do you think reading is just the closest that we can get to that? I think reading's probably ju- the closest we can get to that because mm. I mean you I don't think even I am the same me that I was 15 minutes ago. Mm. Do you know what I mean? I, I like I believe we're all in a state of flux. So I don't think that it is possible to ever completely capture all our great multitudes mm. simply because we are changing all the time. And just going back to what I was saying earlier, I think that 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 is a kind that is a great nuance that i think is so wonderful and can exist through literature mm. because literature gives you the power to change your mind to mm. you know to not be the same person that you were earlier because you you know that a story has an arc you mm. don't have to begin and end at the same point there is a great fear of changing your mind in mm. the modern era where if you say something it gets sort of set in stone and then you have to defend it again and you never get to mm. say oh you're right i actually changed my mind about that so this is my revised opinion on something no one ever says that especially in the political sphere and i feel like literature gives you the power to do something like that yeah yeah let's talk a little bit about translated literature cuz both of us have heard you talk about that before what do you think is the one like the importance of translate translated work in and like your job as a publisher and your position within Penguin and within your position as like a liaison between the subcontinent and the rest of the world. Mm-hmm. So a couple of things. One is that English is only one of India's 
several languages there are mm. over 100 languages in india and over 1000 dialects and there are 22 official languages if i'm not mistaken on the national register and english is one of them however english is also the language of aspiration which means that as a publisher in the english language i need to be aware that if someone is writing in the english language by definition that person comes from a position of great privilege and does that mean i only publish privileged people that would be a huge problem mm. and so the way for me to bridge the gap in a country like india to break out of the english language hegemony that is experienced in india is to be able to publish translated literature of the fiction i publish i recently did a calculation and about 30% of the fiction we publish is translated literature mm. translated from pretty much all the official languages of india and some others as well mm. and that is a way for me to bridge the gap between the work that i do as an english language publisher and the multitudes of people in india of the diversity in india of the number of languages the multilingual nature of that country mm. yeah languages are so different and like translating something is obviously really difficult so do you feel like there's something that's like lost when you change it from its native language to english oh yes but you know what that happens even i Do, how many languages do you speak? I speak English and I am intermediate Mandarin. Okay. So when you translate in your own head between English and Mandarin or you know one in irrespective of which direction you're going and do you feel like something is a little bit lost? I feel like it's never a one to one thing. Yeah, exactly. And I think that that's okay. I totally get it. I think in at least two languages I speak three languages but in my head i can never say the exact same thing mm. in the two languages that i'm most comfortable in and i actually think that that's okay i think that that's beautiful i love the fact that there are untranslatable words in the world one of my friends from the fellowship in fact the uruguayan person that i mentioned earlier martin is his name he told me about this portuguese word which is saudade and the only way to translate it is nostalgia for a thing that has never happened How, how do you capture something like that in a single english word you just mm. can't and i kind of think that's the beauty of being able to communicate in multiple languages i also think that the english language is an incredibly inclusive language it's changing all the time like shakespeare was adding words to the english language the lexicon mm. that we all share so i feel that the inclusive nature of the english language also lends itself to translation earlier this year i published a book it was called tomb of sand and it won the international booker prize earlier this year and a lot of the words in that book have a smattering of hindi and have a smattering of hindi grammar and i think that that's one of the beauties of that particular work of translation which is that it retains the language and the flavor from the original but it also makes it available to an english readership is it the exact same book no of course not but that just means there's another great book in the world Do you think there's some quality that makes someone a particularly good translator because when they're translating a book they have to capture the soul of the book mm-hmm. in a sense. So do you think there are certain people that are especially talented at that or is it just having a good grasp of the language? I think one of the skills that is quite important in the art of translation is to have what I would refer to as a good ear. So to read something and have an ear for it and then translate it and make sure that you have a good ear for that as well so you need you need a good ear in order to be able to make sure that it sounds good in the language you are translating to mm. but is faithful to the language you are translating from and it's a pretty fine line i think that the most faithful translations are often not the most beautiful and i think the most beautiful translations are often not the most faithful 
Do you encounter problems with the audiences that you sell to when you're translating from an Indian language to English? Problems like like having an English speaking audience be interested in the translation. Well, I think that this is something that's changing a little bit because people are increasingly more interested in translated literature. When I look at like the western canon, there are some truly tremendous examples of books that have existed as great works of translation so Tolstoy like I read Anna Karenina for the first time during the pandemic I'm ashamed to say I had not read it before but I actually read two different translations of it and for me I thoroughly enjoyed the process of being able to compare the two translations with each other and I feel like one of the things that I kept coming back to while I was reading this book was what an amazing thing it is that after all these years after all these centuries this novel which is like large chunks of it are about like agricultural reform in 19th century mm-hmm. russia and for some reason i connect to it so much and so i feel like that kind of interest in great translated literature has always existed i think there's a lot more of it now from the global south so i would in fact say that this year is going to be a game changer for literature from the global south because of the international book prize because history was made this year when an indian novel won it for the first time and it was a translation from the hindi which is a language being spoken by so many people all over the world so i do think that things are changing slowly you gave an interview a while back with amina kandasamy where you talked about the translation of tirukollur a uh, classic Tamil text and then you mentioned how the translation was the first time that the text was being translated by a female translator so do you see someone's i guess personal identity is having a hand in how they translate a work of literature or do you see it yeah that's the question well given that this is an a truly ancient text and i think there are over 75 translations of mm. it in existence one of the things i feel is important is to have m- multitudes in the way it is translated mm. as well although each translation of that of this classical text is unique in its own way i do think a feminist intervention brings something to it that has just never been done before so for me that was very exciting would i look into it before deciding on whether something is a good translation no i hardly ever look at the name before i read like a manuscript mm. yeah yeah so as a publisher you're kind of like a gatekeeper in one sense for writers so To anyone who's listening who's interested in becoming a writer in that sphere, what advice do you have to them? A couple of things. I know that a lot of the people listening to this are probably writers as well and probably dabble a little bit in some creative writing pursuits. And I think that that's wonderful. I think that a couple of words of advice that I would share. One is a lot of writing is just cathartic in the very act of writing so i would say you don't always need to have an audience in mind when you're do- when you're mm. writing something write for yourself to start with but i'm also a publisher so i will say this there is still a market or a readership out there and so i would say that the most important jump that you will make as a writer is when you switch over from the act of writing for yourself to the act of writing for others I find that jump incredibly exciting but I think it is also in, an important thing to recognize that you have to do one in order to do the other you can't directly start writing for others you have to spend a little bit of time in the process in the process of writing for yourself to find the both the joys and the tremendous pains of just sitting down putting pen to paper and writing mm. so I think that that is very important 
in just purely practical terms one read a lot like read as much as you as you possibly can i think i think nothing is more important than that number 2 have a little privy council have a few people that you trust and ask them to read your work once in a while build mm-hmm. a relationship with them wherein they are comfortable giving you incredibly brutal incredibly honest feedback number 3 persevere it's not an easy life it's hard to find publishers i know but perseverance is key the fourth thing i would say is at the end of the day be true to yourself i realize that it's a bit contradictory to say this after having said you know take feedback from others but at the end of the day there are some things that you want to do which mean something to your own integrity to your own personal choices so be true to yourself do you have any tips for students who might be interested in going into publishing Oh yeah, I mean publishing is such an interesting career and I'm so glad that I ended up in publishing. Actually, can I tell you guys a little story? Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. Of course. <laughs> I was I was doing my masters in Renaissance literature and I was just finishing up my thesis which was on Shakespeare's comedies and I was sitting down to make PhD applications. because i thought I, that was going to be my life i was thought mm. i was going to become an academic so i was sitting with uh, phd applications and it was my spring semester and i had six no i had eight weeks off for spring and i thought well i have a little bit of time to kill you know i've just finished these complicated phd applications and you know before i send them off let me just go and do an internship somewhere i was living in the uk at the time uh, where i was doing my masters and i went and interned at an academic publishing house in mm. london and i never wanted to do anything other than publishing again like i remember the day when i came back to university after mm. finishing my internship and i was just like not sending these applications <laughs> just not going to happen mm-hmm. i am going to work with books i'm going to work with literature right away so for me being on campus right now is almost bittersweet because i look at this and i think i could have been an academic as well and you know mm. i think about this a lot I love the career that I chose for myself but there is a kind of like interesting bittersweetness to the fact that I am in the life that I thought I was going mm. to have so it's an interesting experience for me for students who are considering a career in publishing well several things one is I think publishing is one of those industries where you will learn a lot more on the job than in a classroom. So, I would say get experience. Go like there are a lot of great internships to be had out there. A lot of big publishing houses do like year-long graduate traineeship programs mm-hmm. where you can try your hand. You don't just ha- you don't I mean editorial is not the only department that a person can go into. You could go into sales or marketing. design mm. copy editing finance there are a number of other departments in any publishing house there are large publishing houses that do full year graduate traineeship programs where you do a little bit in every department and then if you want to be placed then they will find a way to place you in the department where they thought you were a good fit and where you think you're a good fit so i feel like these opportunities which certainly didn't exist when i joined publishing mm. are very very exciting so dip your feet a little bit is what i would say before you decide what you want to do also what genre you want to work in I worked in academic publishing, children's publishing. I worked a little bit in commercial publishing as well. I was publishing crime and romance for a bit. And now I've been working in li- like literary publishing for quite a while and I know that that's where I belong. But I wouldn't know it if I hadn't done a little bit of everything first. Mm-hmm. So I would say change your mind, do a little bit of everything before you decide where you want to go. The final thing that I will add is publishing is one of those industries that 
For years, people have predicted the death of the book. When the paperback came out, publishers thought this was the end of the end of literature because it it seemed to be, to be so threatening to the existence of the hardback. When the ebook came out, when the Kindle came out, people were terrified that this was going to be the end of literature. This is going to happen again and again and again. But publishing has survived, you know, wars, pandemics, technology, the industrial revolution. It survived all of these things. Publishing is going to be around for a while. I feel like publishing is going to be made more exciting by having as many different kinds of people working in the industry as possible. Mm-hmm. So what I mean by that is some of the smartest and most exciting editors that I've worked with or hired are people who didn't even come with degrees in literature. I've worked with people who were chemistry majors who were ex-lawyers, all manner of industries and professions. And that's very exciting. Publishing can seem a little bit elitist because it can seem to operate out of it an ivory tower. And this is a criticism that I know has been leveled against publishing, particularly here in the United States. And I feel that these criticisms are incredibly fair. But I also believe that publishing is one of those industries that is willing to change itself because it has. Publishing has proved itself to be an industry that's willing to respond and change on the basis of changes in the world. And this criticism, I think, is, is so important because now is a moment of reckoning. Now we'll watch how publishing changes. And so if you want to be part of that change, this is a good time to go into publishing and just change the way books are produced, change the kinds of writers who get published. It's never been more exciting than it is right now. And I heartily recommend that anyone who's interested in being part of the creative process, just try your hand in publishing. I have one last question. Mm -hmm. One last question. What book are you reading right now? (laughs) I just started the book uh, Best of Friends by Kamila Shamsi. She's mm-hmm. a Pakistani novelist and it is brilliant. I've loved everything she's ever written. Mm-hmm. One of her mo- most recent books, Home Fire, is a book that I've read three times. I think it's phenomenal mm-hmm. and I cannot wait to like go deep into Best of Friends. Great. Great. I think that's a yeah, good that's note good. to end on. Thank you so much. Thank, Thank you, so you guys much. so much. It was so much fun talking to you. Yes, it was so This episode was produced by Joanne Lee, Seward Singaretti, and Eli Sung, with music by Blue Dot Sessions. Special thanks to our editors at the podcast desk, Alyssa Michelle and Christian Zapley, and our guest, Monisi Subramaniam. Thanks for listening, and tune in soon for our next episode.